You're listening to The Report Card with Zach Card on Weagle 91.1 FM, Mondays at 11 a.m., where we keep your finger on the pulse of all things Auburn athletics. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the November 14th edition of The Report Card. I'm your host, Zach Card. And uh, this week, I wanted to start off with a little mistake I made last week, I'll be honest. Uh, Last week, I said that Alan Green was fired. He, in fact, was not fired. I think we all know that. But I want to issue an apology because he was not fired. He resigned, and Auburn and him mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, I made the mistake when I was talking about the the Cohen hire as our new athletic director. I also wanted to go out and say um, some breaking news this morning and last night. Three Virginia football players were killed, and an ex-player is in custody. Um, Just an awful situation. They were getting off a charter bus uh, on campus, and the former player opened fire. Uh, Three players are killed, two students. One is in critical condition. One is doing okay, according to reports, but just prayers out to all the families. What a horrible, horrible situation that is. But... We're going to get into some Auburn sports, hopefully on a better note than the horrible, tragic news of the Virginia football players. Volleyball had a good weekend. Uh, Beat Ole Miss on Friday, 3-1, across four sets. Uh, Pretty good game. Akasha Anderson, you know, controlled the the block, controlled the net. Um, Everyone, you know. It's volleyball. They do their thing every week. They win every week. Record stands at 21-5. and five. They are 10-5 and five in the SEC, so doing pretty well. The week, or the season ends this week, actually. South Carolina on Wednesday and Arkansas over the weekend with a two-game series against Arkansas. We'll close up the regular season for volleyball, and then they'll head into the SEC tournament, I believe. But it's been a great season for volleyball, historic season. Um I cannot remember the girl's name, but she broke the single season record for uh, blocks in a single season. Let me pull up her name real quick. I can't believe I'm blanking on it right now. It's on the tip of my tongue. Madison Shear, I believe, is the name. She's only a freshman, and the Coach Crouch is like, yeah, she'll. I, I'm gonna celebrate with her and, and everything, but she'll probably do it again next year, and maybe the year after that, and maybe the year after that. She's she's incredible. Um, so congrats to her breaking the single season blocks record. Uh, but you know, hopefully, more to come in the future. Uh, but yeah, they end the season with Arkansas on Sunday. So I don't know, three wins to end the season, possibly. I think we have a good chance to do it. Equestrian beat Texas A&M 10-6, who I believe was either ranked 5th or 6th in the country. Uh, another top 10 matchup, at least. Most uh, outstanding performers goes to Olivia Tordoff for her horsemanship, Ellie Ferrigno for fences, and Mary Grace Seegers for uh, in flat. So, good job to them. Taking down the Aggies. Not the only sport to take down the Aggies this week, but we'll get to that. Uh, the record sits at five and one, and they are three and zero in the SEC. They keep rolling after that first that hiccup early in the season. Up next, they have a school called Bridgewater that I've never actually heard of. 
They play them on Thursday, or they compete against them on Thursday at home in the Auburn Equestrian Complex. And then they go against the reigning national champs, Oklahoma State. I believe they're the reigning national champs. I could be wrong, but pretty sure they're the reigning national champs, Oklahoma State, on Friday. That's also in Auburn. So that'll be a big one. That ends the fall schedule for them just before Thanksgiving break and then, uh, you know, the winter break. So that'll be the end of the fall schedule. we got a couple seasons wrapping up, volleyball, equestrian. Um, but, yeah, might be two wins this weekend. Oklahoma State, you know, reigning champs, I believe. So they are a tough team to go against. But I think this team could beat them. This team should be competing for another SEC championship, should be competing for another national championship. So this will be a good you know, a good way to see what this team can really do come postseason in the spring. The swim and dive team didn't compete this past week. I made a mistake last week by saying that they would compete last Thursday to Saturday, but they compete this week in Athens against uh, for the UGA invite uh, from Thursday to Saturday. So it wasn't last week. They, they compete this week uh, and their meet against UGA and maybe a couple other schools. I don't know. It's a UGA invite, so I believe a couple other schools. Uh, women's basketball had a good week. Both basketball teams had a good week, but we'll get to men's in a second. Women's basketball had a great week. Uh, b- defeated Sam Houston 90-76 and South Alabama 71-62 to last week. Aisha Koulibaly had a double-double in the opening game against Sam Houston. She had 24 points and 10 rebounds against Sam Houston. And freshman Kaitlyn Duhon made her name known to Tiger fans. Excuse me. She came out with 17 points. Wasn't the game high? Aisha had, Aisha Koulibaly had 18 against South Alabama, but Kaitlyn made her name and her presence known against South Alabama with her 17 points. That means their record is 2-0 after those two, two games. And this week they have Georgia Tech on Wednesday and Alabama State on Sunday. Georgia Tech is a really interesting matchup. Women's basketball for Georgia Tech is normally pretty good. Last year they were ranked, and we beat them. We upset them last year in Atlanta, I believe. This one is in Auburn, so I guess it was a home-and-home decided. But, yeah, got the upset last year. I think our team is better than it was last year, and their team might be a little worse than they were last year. So it should be a good matchup. Uh, Make sure you guys come out on Wednesday to the Jungle in Neville Arena. Show out. Uh, we got to beat the Yellow Jackets, move to 3-0. and And then on Sunday, Alabama State, I believe that is also in Neville Arena. Shout out again, and we'll move to 4-0. and Women's basketball keeps rolling. Love Coach Jay. Uh, moving on to men's basketball. This one might take a little while longer. Uh, we beat George Mason 70-52 to in the opening game of the year. And then South Florida, we won 67-59. to But that one was a little scary. We were down by nine at half to, you know, UCF is, or USF, I said UCF. I think the guy in the, running the PA system in the game said UCF at one point as well. Uh, easy to confuse, I suppose. But USF, the Bulls, were up by nine going into halftime. Uh, they just looked like they wanted it more. They were playing, they were playing better. That's all I can say. Like, we were turning the ball over. We were out hustles, out out rebound. We were missing everything. We couldn't make a layup. It seemed there was just a lid on the top of the basket. It was bad in that first half. And then Bruce got the boys together at halftime. You know, made them really realize like, hey, we got to show out for this crowd. This crowd's here. It's the second game of the season against a non-conference opponent. 
and they're here loud as ever, you know, you got to come out in the second half, show that you want to win this game, and that's what they did because the Bulls looked like they wanted a lot more in the first half, but they came out in the second half, swung the game by 17 points, uh, you know, down by nine, then one by eight, so 17-point swing. Uh, but the shooting woes kind of continued in the second half, not as bad. Wendell is averaging 18 a game through those two, and he had 18 in the second half against USF. So he went crazy against USF. He had 20 to finish the game. He started with two points in the first half and then really turned it on to another gear in the second half. Uh, 20 points. Still not shooting great as a team. Uh, We went 5 for 25 from three. Uh, We shot 21 for 52 from field goal or all field goals. Janai Broom went 0 for 6. Zeph Jasper went 0 for 4. Katie went 0 for 4. Like, we're, we had some some tough performances in there. Um, but, yeah, when, when continues to show that he is a scorer, he can lead this team. Alan Flanagan had a pretty good game, um, depending on what stats you looked at. Hill, he had, I believe, 18 points in the game. Yeah, he had 18 points, but he also had five rebounds and four fouls. So he shot six for 10, three for six from three, three for four from the line. Um, so, you know, you see 18 points, and you're like, oh, wow, he had a pretty good game. And then you look over and you're like, oh, five turnovers. He's such an interesting player to me because he'll go and he'll slam it on a dude, he'll dunk on somebody on one play. And then literally the very next play, he'll dribble it off his foot and trip and turn the ball over for an easy bucket on the other end. He's a freak athlete, and he's got a shot too. Like, he can shoot as well. He's so athletic, but, you know, I don't, he just doesn't have the handle that comes with it. He'll, he can beat someone off the, you know, if he's cutting, or, you know, sometimes he'll be able to beat someone off the dribble, like he did against UAH in the exhibition where he went baseline on the guy. But, you know, I don't know. He could also, in my opinion, I feel like he could be a much better defender. Uh, he could probably be one of the best on the team. If he, you know, if it looked like he tried, I don't want to say that he's not trying to defense because, you know, you don't want to say that. But I feel like given his build, given his athleticism, his knowledge of the game, I feel like he could be a much better defender. It just looks like he takes the plays off on defense. I, you know, it just looks like he's just, you know, going slow out there, going 50% instead of going 100%. On defense, so that's one thing I would like to change about Flanagan. But you know, still love him. Um, still got the win, so that's that's good. Janai Broom. I just said he went over six, but I'm a big fan of Janai Broom. Um, I'm about to contradict myself with with my power rankings as my favorite player on the team. I'm going to do this every week, where because you know, I think it'll change a lot who my favorite player on the team is. So I'll do my top three. Uh, but first, I want to talk about how Janai Broom talks so much trash. If you just watched him the whole game, he's talking the whole time. It's amazing. The ref had to stop the game like one or two times just to be like, Janai, you got to stop talking. You got to stop getting in this guy's ear because you're doing it way too much. Um, but I love that. Him and Robbie Ashford, two guys transferred in, they're probably talking the the two most like the two biggest smack talkers in both sports and they're like I love it. I'm all about it. 
But going through my top three favorite players on the team power rankings for the week, Jani Bruma at number one, solely because he talks trash and he grabs boards and you know plays decent defense. Um, he's a good player. He went over six last game, but you know I can overlook that because he talks trash. Katie Johnson, another guy that went over uh, in the game. He just brings so much energy. I love it. Um, I love the way that he plays with energy. It does not matter. When he was going up the court against one, he he got a bucket, and then he was turning to defend against um, George Mason. And he was like, I'm going to take the ball from you. He told the dribbler, the the ball handler, I'm going to take the ball from you right now. And then I think he did it. I think he came true on his promise. Uh, And then number three is Wendell Green. How could you not love him? He's leading the team in scoring. He's so exciting to watch. He's a great passer, an excellent shooter. He's a little little guy, underdog type guy. It's hard to not root for him. Last year he had a couple problems with with you know ball management at the end of the game, but I think as he gets older that'll get better. He's one of the best point guards in the SEC, one of the best point guards in the country. So I think that'll continue to get better. We move to two and zero on the season. We we play against Winthrop tomorrow at home, and then Texas Southern on Friday at home. And then over Thanksgiving break, we travel to Cancun, Mexico. How fun. A little trip to Cancun. Uh, you know, one of those uh, beginning of the season tournaments. Like we went to, I believe, the Bahamas last year. But this time we're going to Cancun. Fun little trip for the guys over Thanksgiving break. But real quick, we'll head to a short two-minute PSA break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of football. Stay tuned. And we back. You're listening to The Report Card on Weagle 91.1 FM. Uh, we just stopped talking about some basketball, Auburn basketball. We're going to go on to some football. Good weekend. We won a game. Woo! You know? Uh, we beat Texas A&M 13-10. Very exciting game. The energy was there in the stadium. It was Cadillac's first home game, and he won it. He had the backing of the whole crowd. You know, everyone was loud. Um, we almost blew the game, but we're not going to talk about that because it was so fun. Um, I really enjoy Cadillac. He brings some energy and the culture in around the team. The the kids love the the players love him. I don't want to call them kids. The athletes love him. The fans love him. I think it's safe to say that donors like him at least. Um. I think everyone in Auburn, you can't dislike Cadillac. Auburn legend. He comes with energy every time. He loves Auburn. He loves the student athletes. He loves the students. He is the epitome of the Auburn family, in my opinion. If we beat Western Kentucky and keep it reasonable with Bama, I might call for Cadillac to be hired full-time. Now, I know he's not the typical X's and O's head coach, but the culture is there. The The guys want to play for him. The fans sold out against a bad Texas A&M team. It, it wasn't even, like, on paper. Sure, it was an exciting game, but 13-10? Do you expect that game to get sold out? Do you expect the two three-win teams to sell out? A game? No. Like, we did that because of Cadillac, in my opinion, and because the Auburn family is so strong and we're rallying behind this guy who loves the school and really shows, like, 
this is what it would be like if a lot of us fans got in the locker room. Just the energy, how much we love the school, how much Cadillac loves the school. So I think it would be a good hire. The culture seems right. Everything seems seems right. You put a couple good offensive co- or put a good offensive coordinator, put a good defensive coordinator with him. Let them handle the X and X's and O's. Let Cadillac handle the the overhead stuff, the culture, getting the players right, all of that. Um, and I mean, he's still got some game sense. Taking the, the delay a game on a punt that would have only been like I don't know a forty yard punt, taking the delay a game, giving Oscar a little a couple more yards to work with, and he pinned them within the ten. That's good game sense, in my opinion. Make make it easier on the punter so he can still pin him really deep. And can I just say, Oscar Chapman went off. Uh, his four or five punts, I don't even remember how many it was, but they were all, it seemed like, within the t- the 20. We had that one where we almost stopped him on, like, the inch line. Uh, I can't remember who was on coverage, but he stepped on the line and batted it back. So because he stepped on the line, it's a touchback, but he batted it back. And real time, it looked like we almost got it. We almost stopped him on the one. I was going crazy in the stands. Everyone was going, well, the people that knew what was going on were going crazy. Uh, also, running backs went just, like, just crazy, wild. Tank ran for 126 yards on 23 carries. And Jarquez, Jarquez <clears throat> Hunter ran for 124 on 13 carries. 10 less carries, only 2 less yards. So they had a crazy game. Uh, it's pretty much what we expected. You know, Cadillac, former running back, is the coach. We're going to run it a lot. We're going to use a lot of different looks. Robbie had a good game running, I believe, 66 yards. I like this. This Auburn ground uh, 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 ground pound, you know, grind it out type style. I like that, especially when our running backs are, in my opinion, our greatest position group. I think that it is super smart to just run, uh, almost run the ball every every down. Not every down, but, you know, have a predominantly running game. And especially when you have a mobile quarterback, the option looks, the uh, – why can't I remember? The RPOs. Um, it's just – I think it opens our playbook a lot more. And then you get the play action in there. You can go deep over the top with play action. You get some crossing routes. I think it's – Exactly what our offense should have been the whole time. Oh, and hey, we started Alex McPherson. I've been calling for that for weeks. Um, the freshman kicker, he started opening kickoff, kicked it out of bounds. I was like, ooh. <laughs> you know, maybe we were starting Andres for a reason. But Andres was injured for the game, so he got the start. And Ben Patton took kickoff responsibilities. After that, we trotted out Alex. He went Alex McPherson went two for three on the day, and we tried him out. His only miss was a 54-yarder. So, you know, can't really blame him for that. It's over 50 yards. Anything over 50 yards for a freshman kicker to me is like, okay, yeah, I'll give him that pass. The defense played really well. A couple forced fumbles. uh, One from Nehemiah Pritchett. Another one from Kobe Wooden. Kobe Wooden had a great game. He had a sack. A tackle for loss. Nehemiah Pritchett also had a sack and a tackle for loss. Uh, Nehemiah had two tackles. Kobe Wooden had one. Kobe Wooden hit the quarterback three times. He was getting back there. What can I say? Uh, Morris Joseph Jr. Joseph Morris? I don't know. The way this is set up on the Auburn Tigers website, I believe it's Joseph 
Morris Jr., but it says Joseph Jr. Morris on the thing. So I don't want to get that wrong, but I think they have it wrong on the thing. Anyways, uh, he had the one fumble recovery, I guess. Oh, yeah, Texas A&M fell on the other one that we got. But Owen Papo led the team in tackles with six. Cam Riley had five. And then a host of players had four. Even more had three, twos, and ones, of course. Um, just a great defensive game. Held them to 10 points. Held them to 121, 121 yards passing and 121 yards rushing. Wow, that's pretty crazy that they had the same exact. Uh, well, no, they had a gain of 121 yards rushing, net of 94. So we held them to just over 200 yards. Great, you know, defensive performance. We had 18 first downs compared to their 12. Uh, 13 of those 18 were were rushing, which, you know, yeah, we had 270 uh, net rushing yards, averaged 4.9 per rush. So, you know, you're going to hand the ball off and get five yards of play. Why not hand it off, you know, nearly every down? Uh, passing yards really at 60, but that wasn't the main focal point of the offense. Our one touchdown was a passing touchdown, a nice, nice route by Javarius Johnson. Uh, great pass by Robbie, hit him. He was wide open. If he missed it, it would have been an awful pass, but he hit him, so it was a good pass. Uh, we had 330 yards of total offense compared to their 215. We punted five times compared to their nine. So, yeah, Oscar had five punts. He averaged 44 yards a punt, and three of them were downed inside. The 20, he had two for over 50 yards. One of those down within the 20 was from, like, our 50-yard line, so... Can't say it was really, um, you know, it should have been a 50-plus yard, whatever. But one of the touchbacks was the one I mentioned earlier where we almost kept it in. But, yeah, it was a great game. I really enjoyed it as a fan. Went to go and experience it, you know, in the student section. It was rocking the whole time. We were there hours early. Honestly, I thought it was a little too early to be going to the game. But the way the basketball game is with those lines, you never know with the jungle. So our record improves to four and six with the smallest, slightest little possibility of going to a bowl game. We have to win out, uh, starting with Western Kentucky on at home at three on Saturday. And then next week, after Thanksgiving, after Black Friday, we head to Tuscaloosa for the Iron Bowl. Win both of those. We're bowl eligible. Not something I would have thought we would do. Uh, a couple weeks ago, but it's a possibility, despite how slim of a possibility that is. Moving on to the wide world of college football, LSU clinched the SEC West um, with you know tiebreakers over Bama. Uh, Ole Miss lost to Bama. That's how they clinched it. Um, Ole Miss no longer in the running, obviously, because LSU clinched it with the loss with Ole Miss's loss to Alabama. Excuse me, I'm sorry if that was confusing. Anyways, LSU will play in the SEC Championship confirmed against either Georgia or Tennessee, depending on how Georgia ends their season and Tennessee ends theirs. Most likely Georgia. Georgia looks like the best team in the SEC by far, in my opinion. I thought Alabama had a uh, chance, but their two losses to Tennessee and LSU make them look a little not so serious anymore. Um I don't think it's possible for LSU, for Alabama to make the playoffs still, but we've seen crazier things. 
we're going to have a crazy playoff picture on our hand the last two weeks. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU are all undefeated. Ohio State and Michigan play in two weeks. That will probably be the game of the year. Uh, most likely a top three matchup if they both win next week. It'll be the, the big game will be the biggest game it has been in a while. Um, also, so a couple one-loss teams. Tennessee has one loss, only to UGA, who's undefeated. USC has one loss. Pac-12 championship, maybe that's enough. Who knows? Clemson has one loss. ACC championship, maybe that's enough. We'll see if UC, uh, USC and Clemson continue to win out and have one loss. And then LSU has two losses, like I said, but they play in the SEC championship, which, you know, if you beat Georgia in the SEC championship, you beat Bama as well this year. I think they make a pretty good case if they win out, win the SEC championship. I think it's hard to not put them in. You win the SEC, arguably the best conference in college football. I would say it is. Some might say the Big Ten. But in my opinion, the best conference in college football, I think the winner of that, if it's LSU, they have to go. If it's Georgia or Tennessee, obviously they're going to go. But, you know, LSU makes a good case. Uh, Going on to college basketball, Tennessee – Look to be, uh, you know, favorites, not not outright favorites over Kentucky to win the SEC, but, you know, top three favorites, supposed to be a really good team. They lost to Colorado last week. Big upset for Colorado. Uh, you know, it's only the first two games of the season, so take it with a grain of salt. People are still getting in there, getting in the in the groove. We almost lost to USF, so, you know, give them a little, a little slack. Gonzaga escaped Michigan State barely. They were down by a couple in the second half and they squeaked out the win 64 to 63. Uh, but with that, Gonzaga stays undefeated, stays at the top. I think that'll probably be the best game they play all year. They might lose in their conference. They probably won't because their conference is not good. But with that, we're going to go to a PSA break. When we come back, we'll talk pro sports, including the game of the year, perhaps in the NFL. Uh, Stay tuned. You're listening to the report card on 91.1 FM. Welcome back to the report card on on Weagle 91.1 FM. I teased it a little bit before we went into the break, but game of the year, maybe? That's what LeBron said. Uh, Instant classic between the Buffalo Bills and the Minnesota Vikings. The Bills led at halftime 27 to 10, and then going into the fourth quarter, they led 27 to 17. So. Three-possession lead at halftime, two-possession lead going into the fourth quarter, and then uh, probably midway, a little, maybe a little late in the fourth quarter, Vikings scored to make it 23-27. to Brings a little close. I'm on the edge of my seat as a Bills fan. I'm sweating a little bit, a little trickle down my, down my forehead. The Vikings get the ball back on a punt, and they storm down the field. All the way down, uh, they get to the goal line pretty much. And then the Bills' defensive line makes a crazy stop on a QB sneak um, on fourth and goal on, like, literally the inch line. I think if you move the ball even a centimeter, I think you're in the end zone. It's a touchdown. It was so close, but they stopped them. Bills get the ball back on the inch line, and they try and do a QB sneak. The center, can't remember his name, and Josh Allen messed up the snap somehow. 
I'm not going to put blame on either one of them because I don't know who it was, but they mess up the snap on the first play of the drive. They fumble it. Fumble on the inch line. Vikings fall on it in the end zone. Touchdown, Vikings. Vikings go up 30-27. to 27. But that's not the game. There's 39 seconds left, and the Bills get the ball back. And we know offensive like offenses like the Bills, they can score in any given amount of time. You give them 10 seconds, they might get down the field and score. 39 seconds is just too much. They go down, get to, like, I think the 25-yard line because the Vikings were playing crazy soft coverage. Probably wasn't, you know, the smartest thing to do. But I don't know if you're going to be able to stop the Bills when they're on a roll like that. Tyler Bass hits the, I think, 37-yard field goal, somewhere in the 30s. And we go into overtime. Overtime, the Vikings win the toss. And by that time, I'm like, oh, Bills lost a toss in overtime. It's over. The game is over. No, it's not. Vikings go down. They hit a uh, a pretty long field goal. But the Bills get the chance to get the ball back because it's a field goal. They go down all the way to the red zone. And Josh Allen throws a red zone interception. I think he has four in the last two games, three or four red zone interceptions in the last two games. He throws this one to Patrick Peterson, and that's the ball game. He didn't throw a single red zone interception for like 60 games before a week ago or two weeks ago. And now he's got four or three or four in two games. You just got to ask yourself what's happening. Josh Allen was injured. He had an injury to his throwing elbow, his right elbow, going into the game. But post-game, he said, it had nothing to do with the turnovers. Uh, It had nothing to do with the game. He took all the blame on himself, which is what you should do as a starting quarterback. So he took it pretty well, took it on the chin. He He had three turnovers in the fourth quarter in overtime. As a Bills fan, I'm going to speak very bluntly. I love Josh Allen. I think he is one of the future star. He is a star. He's a superstar in the league, and I think it's going to continue that be to be that way for a while. But he's got to clean up these turnovers. I think he leads the NFL in turnovers at this point in the season. And when you're making a case to be the MVP, you can't be the reason your team is losing. With three turnovers in the last two quarters, you know, if we're counting the overtime as a quarter. You can't be the guy that people are looking at like, well, if you didn't throw that pick, if you didn't fumble that ball, if you didn't throw that other pick, you know, they might have won that game. But he he still did, which is, you know, whatever. Um, No real upsets, in my opinion, in the – NFL this this week, the Vikings go to 8-1. and one. They've won seven straight. They're just going crazy. Kirk Cousins, we'll probably see him in even more change than what we saw him in last week. Uh, Bills fall to 6-3. and three. They are no longer in sole possession of the AFC East. They are no longer in possession of the AFC East. The Miami Dolphins are half a game ahead in the division. So the Bills no longer are in charge of the AFC or the AFC East. Uh, Bears-Lions, Bears blew a 14-point lead. But it's the Bears, you know. Not a great team. Justin Fields had another good game. Two touchdowns. Uh, ran for a lot. Ran for 147 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. I don't remember. I think he threw one as well. 
Uh, Might have had a pick as well, but Lions take that one 31-30. Seahawks lose in Munich to the Buccaneers. Buccaneers move to 5-5. Five five. Geno Smith led Seahawks fall to 6-4. Titans beat the Broncos 17-10. No real surprise there. Chiefs beat the Jags 27-17. No real surprise there. Dolphins beat the Browns 39-17. Only surprise is there's no surprise there. They got blown out. No surprise there. Giants moved to 7-2. and two. Continue to surprise me this year. Uh, they beat the Texans. No surprise there yet again. 24-16. The Steelers and the Saints in a game of bad bad versus bad. Steelers come out on top 20-10. to 10. The Colts in their first game under Jeff Saturday win 25-20. to 20. Um, Maybe Jeff Saturday was a good hire. Maybe he is... The right guy to put to put forward, but I'm not sure. He's another one like he he's like Cadillac to me. He might not be like the X's and O's type guy, but he's a former player. He knows what these players want and all that. Cowboys Packers, um, Fox's game of the week went to overtime, twenty eight to thirty one. Packers pull out the win, move to four and six on the year. Cowboys fall to six and three. Some people are blaming it on Dak. Uh, came into the office this morning, first take was on, and people are like, did Dak blow the game? I couldn't hear it because we don't have the sound on, but he threw three touchdowns and two interceptions. You know, not great. Aaron Rodgers had three touchdowns back to his usual form. Aaron Jones ran for 138 yards. Tony Pollard ran for 115 C. Lamb caught 11 catches for 150 yards. Christian Watson caught four for 107 and three touchdowns. Great game by Watson. C. Lamb had two touchdowns. Um, Dallas recovered three fumbles and still lost. But, yeah, good game. Another overtime game. Can't say I'm super surprised by the outcome because I think that the Packers are better than their 4-6 and six record. But you never know. Cardinals-Rams, both quarterbacks were out now. One, Matthew Stafford and Kyler Murray. Uh, the Colt McCoy-led Cardinals beat the Wofford, I believe, led Rams 27-17. Rams fall, lose another game. They move to 3-6. and six. And then Sunday Night Football, Chargers... Uh, dropped another one. Did not score in the second half. Uh, they lose 16 to 22 against the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo had 240 yards. Just a an all-around effort by the 49ers. Chargers drop another one. I thought the Chargers were going to be a lot better, honestly, but here we are. So no huge upsets in the NFL this week, um, but it was a fun weekend nonetheless. Couple comebacks, two overtime games. Uh, Monday night football is tonight. That will be again. That will be between the Commanders and the Eagles. Um, Eagles are still undefeated, and at eight no, I would not be surprised if they move to nine and zero. But we'll, I'll make that pick later. Moving on to the NBA, the Bucks finally lost. I came into last Monday's episode being like, "Wow, the Bucks are undefeated. They're on a roll." They lost that night. They lost that night to the Hawks in Atlanta, 98-117. to The Trailblazers continue to roll. They continue to play well. They are proving that Jeremy Grant needs more respect on his name. 
I'm a big Jeremy Grant fan, and seeing the disrespect that people put on the West-leading Portland Trailblazers sitting at 9-4. and four. I say West-leading, but there's three teams sitting at sitting even. The Trailblazers, the Nuggets, and the Jazz. The Jazz and the Trailblazers are teams I did not expect to be up there, but Trailblazers are good. Jazz, Danny Ainge is their GM. He refuses to put together a bad team. Uh, in my opinion, they're a team of role players, but they all know their role. So that is what makes them so lethal and what makes them a 10-win team sitting at 10-5. and five. Denver Nuggets have the second-best player in the world, in my opinion, with Nikola Jokic. So no surprise there. Uh, Bucks are still sitting at first in the East. They dropped another game, so they're sitting at 10-2. and two. Uh, Sitting just behind them, half a game back, are the Boston Celtics 10-3. and three. Those two... The Bucks and the Celtics, in my opinion, are the two teams to beat. And the Celtics are making some news. Celtics are making people mad with the way that they run the clock at the end of the game. They find a little loophole in the rules, I guess. Uh, Joe Mazzula, the head coach, is not the first person to think of this. I will say I've seen this in the past, but it's really starting to make national news because the refs are confused. The refs do not know what's happening. And I think that's pretty funny. Uh, they've stopped the game before. So what? let me explain to you what the Celtics are doing. First, we'll start with the rule. With under two minutes in the game, the clock will keep running after a made basket. So what the Celtics do is, you know, like some teams, they roll the ball so the game clock doesn't run. Or the shot clock doesn't run and the game clock doesn't run normally. But with under two minutes left, the clock keeps running. So what they do is they kind of roll the ball in, but they put a little backspin on it so it doesn't roll super far, and it just kind of sits there at a certain point. It stops moving. So the game clock runs, and you're ticking off time, but the shot clock doesn't. So they can technically do this forever. They've been able to run it, run off over 10 seconds of the clock um, a few times. They did it against the Magic, and they did it against another team I cannot remember. But they basically do it until one of the defending the players on the defending team kind of runs up. They'll the Celtics will put two like screeners in front of the the point guard that who gets the ball and only Marcus Smart, and they just kind of sit there instead of like set screens, set picks, and then the defenders will run into the picks and draw a foul. I saw that once, um, but when they ran it against the Magic. The refs had no idea what were happening. What was happening? They were like, "Wait, the clock's running, but the shot clock's not." It confused the heck out of the refs. They stopped the clock. They blew the whistle with 15 seconds left. The Celtics were all mad. The Bucks were uh, not the Bucks. The Magic were like, "What is happening?" Um, so make of that as you will. Little loophole in the rules. Uh, you can't change the rules midway through the season. So I believe we'll see the Celtics continue to to do this trick. Probably a couple of other teams start to do it too. But I'm not mad at it. You found a loophole in the rules, you know. Don't abuse it because then you just, I don't know, you look bad if you just keep abusing it. But I'm not super mad at it. Uh, in the world of soccer, super excited about this. The World Cup begins this weekend. USA is in it. They play Wales on Monday at 11 a.m. You might be thinking, why is the World Cup in the winter? They're playing in Qatar. 
It's super hot in Qatar. You can't really play in the summer. Everyone would die of heat exhaustion. So they moved it to the winter where it's still freakishly hot in Qatar. But that's the compromise they made, moving it to the winter. So the club seasons in Europe, at least, take a little break after this weekend. This weekend was the last match week for them. So they take a little break um, until the World Cup is over, and then they'll come back the day after Christmas. Boxing Day in England is what they call it. That's at least when the Premier League starts back up again, the English top flight in soccer. But the World Cup starts on Sunday. Very excited for that. It'll run for the next month. Love the World Cup. It's always a fun time. USA has got a decent team. Christian Pulisic looks to lead the boys out of the group stage, which has Wales, like I mentioned, Iran, kind of ironically, and England, also kind of ironically. So fun matchups. England should come out of that the group. Uh, pretty certain that they will. But Wales, Iran, and USA are all going to be fighting for that second spot to make it out into the knockout round. But we'll head to a quick PSA break again. You're listening to the report card on Weagle 91.1 FM. And we back. Welcome back to the report card on Weagle 91.1 FM. This is the last section, so you know what that means. We're going to do some pickums. Uh, starting off with Auburn football, as always. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers come down to the Plains this weekend. Western Kentucky is no slouch of a group of five team. They've been seen putting up 40, 50 points on guys. So, you know, don't look at this game as, you know, a blowout. Don't be surprised if this is a close game. In my opinion, I think Auburn should win. I think an SEC team should always beat a group of five team, but we've seen crazier things happen. This one should be a good one in Jordan-Hare Stadium this weekend. I'm going with Auburn. Next up, number eight, USC. Well, I, maybe the AP poll came out. Let's check, actually. But as it was last week, number eight, USC plays number 12, UCLA in UCLA. So, I mean, they're both in L.A., uh, so, you know, home home field doesn't, you know, truly, you know, matter too much. But if I can find these rankings, here we are. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's 7 USC versus 16 UCLA. Now, I'm going to go USC. I just think they're the better team despite UCLA being at home. And then Utah at Oregon. Oregon just came off of a loss against Washington at the end. Utah is 10. Oregon is 12. Should be a good matchup in the Pac-12. Maybe some implications for the Pac-12 championship. I am going to go with a Oregon bounce back game. No real reason for it. I just think they're going to bounce back at home in Autzen Stadium. Bo Nix. You know, people thought he might win the Heisman this year at a certain point, but it slowed down a little bit. Bonix is still Bonix, uh, but I have some faith in Oregon. I think they're a good team, well coached. So I'm going to take Oregon at home over number ten Utah in the slight upset, ten versus twelve, right? Twelve, yeah, ten versus twelve. Not a huge upset. And then tonight in Monday Night Football in the NFL, 
We have the Washington Commanders taking on the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia. I don't know how close this one is going to be. The Eagles are on a roll. I don't think the Commanders are good enough to beat them. I'm going to go with the Eagles. But I am a big fan of Washington Commanders quarterback Tyler Heineke. Went through uh, a school system where I grew up in. So, you know, a little hometown boy. I like him. Shout out to the Collins Hill Eagles where he went to high school and, you know, has a bunch of records I think still standing. But I'm still going to go with the Eagles. Uh, In the NBA, my game of the day, I guess, is the Cleveland Cavaliers, who I think are third or fourth in the East. I believe third. They were second a couple days ago. But they are very good, led by Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and... Oh, why am I blanking on his name? Jared Allen, and why can I not remember his name? Anyways, they go against Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks, who I said are one of the two teams to beat. This one is going to be a great matchup. It's in Milwaukee. I'm going to go with the Bucks, just because I think the Bucks are a little bit better, but they've dropped two games in the past week. You never know. The Cavs are a good team. They've got two wins over the Celtics, who I think are another team to beat. Cavs are a team to beat in the East, not as much as the Bucks and the Celtics, but if you get a win against the Cavs, I think that's a good win. I think that's an excellent win, but I'm still going to go with the Bucks at home. They bounced back from the two losses last week. I believe both of them were on the road, so they come back home in front of the home crowd. Uh, Milwaukee loves their basketball team, so I'm going to go with the Bucks. That will do it for this week's episode of The Report Card. Next week is Thanksgiving break, so I will not be on the airwaves. If you tune in at 11 on Monday, November 21st, you will not hear me. So if you still want to listen to the to Weagle, you know, go ahead. But I will not be on air next week. I'll be at home enjoying Thanksgiving break with my family, and I hope you guys all do the same. But this has been this has been the report card. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the report card on WEGL ninety one point one. Tune in again next Monday at eleven a.m. for more Auburn sports and for even more Auburn content. Check out wegl.fm.com for our twenty four hour live stream. See you next time on the report card. Mm-hmm.